Thank you for joining New Life Fellowship Podcast today. We are a church desiring to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples. We pray that this message inspires you, build your faith, and hope that it will give you perspective to see that our God is moving in your life. Hope you enjoyed the message. Hey, well, good morning, New Life Fellowship. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, I know there's been some distance between you and I, and I personally do uh, very much miss uh, all of you. And so, um, you know, I'm praying and hoping that uh, the day will come where we get to worship all together again. But it's so good to be worshiping with you online. Uh, if this is your first time worshiping us with, uh, with us online, uh, my name is Eric No. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I just have the privilege of bringing you God's word today. Uh, we've been in this uh, 40-day campaign for some time now, um, but today what I want to do is I want to take a break from that. Uh, I want to take a break and pause on it because I want to address uh, what's happening in our society and, of course, that being the coronavirus. And so for today, what I've entitled our sermon as is Fear and Faith um, because I think there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of panic uh, during this time. Uh, you know, for so many of you, uh, you've been inundated by news stories, by news articles, by podcasts, by TV shows, um, just pouring fear and anxiety into your heart. And I thought it would be a good time for us as a church uh, to stop hearing from the news, uh, but to actually hear from the Word of God. Uh, because right now what's happening is uh, the news is producing a fear in you, uh, but we want the Word of God uh, to produce uh, peace within you. Um, I think for a lot of you, uh, you... you Probably, and this may be you, this may not be you, but for some of you, in fact, you share news stories in your chat rooms, you share news articles, you share TV clippings or whatever it is, and what we're doing here is we're producing fear in each other. Um, but again, we want to set our foundation upon the rock, and that is Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying is we need to be prepared as a church, we need to be prudent uh, in, the way we uh, in the way we live, but also at the same time, we don't want to panic. The Bible says that we are not to have fear in any and every circumstance in life. And so this sermon is particularly for that. Uh, we want to build our lives upon Jesus Christ, who is the rock. We want to build it upon the word. Um, now, um, what I want to do before we dive into our passage for today, which is in Mark chapter 4, is I wanted to address some of the fears and concerns that some of you may have. I, I listed out about five reasons that I thought some of you have fear and anxiety. And the first one is simply this. Some of you are afraid because of the virus itself. Some of you are afraid of death. Some of you are afraid of contracting the virus and then dying. Uh, some of you are actually afraid that maybe perhaps a loved one uh, who is within the high-risk category will contract the disease and die. And that is a very real fear that many of you have. Uh, the second fear that I, uh, that I thought was actually a little bit more widespread was not the virus itself, but actually what the virus is doing to our economy. Uh, for so many of you, you are afraid because you're looking at the Dow Jones, you're looking at our stock market, and what you see day after day is it plummeting. You're seeing it drop by 11, 12 points on some days. You're seeing it drop five, six points on other days. Um, but and then you see small businesses shutting down. You see people getting laid off. Uh, in fact, you might be a small business owner who's had to lay off people. You might be somebody who lost their job because of this. Uh, you might be somebody uh, who uh, is taking a financial hit because of this, and that brings you fear. In fact, you might be a college student this year. Um, maybe you're looking to graduate, and you're looking to go into the workforce, but you're wondering, are there going to be any jobs for me when I, uh, when I graduate? Uh, for some of you, you might be unemployed right now, and you're thinking, man, this unemployment might go for some time because of the economy, because there aren't enough jobs anymore. And so a lot of you are, are fearful because of the economy. 
The third reason that I identified was maybe not because of the economy itself, but because of what the economy might do to our resources. Some of you are going to Costco and shopping like crazy. You guys are stockpiling on toilet paper, on canned goods. Uh, you're building bomb shelters. And the reason why is because you're afraid that this whole virus situation, the, the downturn of the economy, might lead to a lack of resources uh, uh, for daily living. And so some of you are fearful that we might actually run out of resources. Uh, fourth, uh, another reason that I think some of you are afraid is simply because of the changes that have happened to your life. Your kids are at home. They're screaming. They're yelling every day. Uh, and and you, you have no way of controlling them. They're running around. Uh, you know, they're causing havoc in your life. And you've just made tremendous amounts of changes working from home, uh, doing different things. And, and these changes have just produced anxiety within you. And you wonder day after day, when is this change going to end? When can I get back to normal life? And the fact that you don't know what the future holds for you creates this fear and anxiety in your heart. And lastly, for some of you, it's all of the above. You, you know, you have that multiple choice checklist and you circle the all of the above category. Maybe it's all of the above for you. You're fearful of the virus. You're fearful of what it can do to our economy. You're fearful of what it can do to our resources. You're fearful of the changes that it's made over your lives. You're fearful over all of these different circumstances. And if that's you, if you fit into any one of these categories, this sermon is for you. I want to pour courage into your hearts right now. Because you understand that this word encouragement actually means to pour courage into somebody's heart. I want you to have courage. I want you to be wise. I want you to be prudent. I want you to be cautious in the way you live. But at the same time, the Bible says you, there is no room for fear in your hearts. There is no room for you to have any sort of fear and anxiety. But rather, we can have complete confidence in our God. And so today, what I want to do is I want to pour courage into your hearts. And we're going to be reading from a very famous passage, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 40. Uh, I only have two points for us today. The first point is transformative fear. A transformative fear. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. The second point is transforming our fears. So transformative fear and then transforming our fears. Uh, if at this time, if you're able to, if you're sitting on your couches, I know this might be odd, but if you could rise as we read God's word together, uh, I'll say after the reading, this is the word of the Lord. Again, I know this is strange, but if you at home could respond with thanks be uh, to God. Uh, I'll pray for us and then we'll jump into our sermon. So let me go ahead and read this for us. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 40. This is the reading of God's word. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus saying to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him uh, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said teacher do you not care that we are perishing and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm he said to them why are you so afraid have you still no faith and and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you, God, for this time together. Although, Lord, we are spread apart by distance, Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit brings us together. 
Lord, we know that even though we are apart, we are united. And so, Lord, we pray that during this time, your spirit would pour into us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and self-control. Lord, we pray that during this time, Lord, that we, our hearts would be encouraged. Lord, that we would have courage, Lord, to really stand up during this time to really be followers of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray this all in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, you can be seated at home. So again, two points, transformative fear, and then our second point, transforming our fear. Uh, but let's dive into our first point, transformative fear. Uh, you know, fear, uh, I, I heard one pastor say this, fear is actually the cousin of faith. A fear is the cousin of faith. And what he meant by that is that fear and faith are very similar. For example, fear is future-oriented. A fear looks at the future. A fear believes in something that is unseen. Uh, and similarly, right, faith is future-oriented. Faith uh, uh, believes in something that it cannot see quite yet. And here's the thing, right? True faith has the power to transform you. Right? This is why Christianity is so powerful in somebody's life, because true faith can transform someone. Uh, it can transform a greedy person into a generous one. It can uh, transform somebody who's depressed uh, into having joy. It can transform someone from having a pride to having peace. It can transform somebody to being selfish to selfless. True faith has a power to transform you. And similarly, fear also has the power to transform you as well. Do you know that? Fear has the power to transform you just as much as faith does. See, if you have fear in your heart, it can actually take your joyful heart and make it depressed. It can actually take you as a person of peace and make you very prideful. It can actually make you somebody who is uh, very generous into somebody who's very greedy. It can actually change you from being selfless to being very selfish. And so this is why we want to caution against fear because fear, just like faith, will actually transform you. And during the rest of this point, what I want to share with you are, are four ways in which fear will actually transform you. It will transform you into this ugly beast. It will transform your heart into this rotten apple that will uh, then stem forth into other parts of your life. And so how does fear go about transforming us? Again, four things. First thing is this. It makes you unlike Christ. It makes you unlike Christ. Let's, let's look at our story, right, in Mark chapter 4, right? Disciples get into a boat. They're going to take Jesus across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And what you have to know is that these disciples are fishermen. They've seen so many storms. They've seen the Sea of Galilee. And if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, storms were a pretty regular, frequent thing. And so it wasn't, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, not regular of an occurrence for them to see a storm. But on this particular time, they're, they're going across and they encounter this great storm the Bible calls it. And we know that it's a great storm because the disciples, again, were fishermen. They knew storms, but this storm happened to be so great that it caused them to think, are we going to perish? They literally wake Jesus up from his slumber. They go to him and they say, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And so the fear of the disciples makes us believe that this storm was a great storm. In fact, that word for great in that word storm is the word Greek word megas, which is where we get the word mega from. It was a mega storm. And so for a lot of you, when you're watching at home, you, you think, man, when you look at this virus, when you look at our economy, what it's doing to our economy, when you look at all the things happening around us, I think we could agree that we are currently in a mega storm. That we are in this great storm. In fact, I talk to older people and they tell me constantly, I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. 
I've never lived through something like this ever in my entire life. And we, friends, are living through a great storm. And here's my question to you. Is, are you like Jesus in this story or are you like the disciples? See, if you look at Jesus in this story, Jesus is resting. He's relaxing. He's sleeping. He's, he's at peace. He has no fear. He has no anxiety. In fact, so much so that he's able to relax and sleep and be rocked to sleep by the, by the waves of the boat. Or are you like the disciples? Are you screaming? Are you yelling? Are you in anxiety? Are you in fear? Are you asking God, God, why are you doing this to us? Why are, why are you allowing us to perish? Are you angry at God or are you at rest? And the Bible tells us over and over again that we are what? To be like Christ. In fact, there was that huge campaign called WWJD. What would Jesus do? Why? Because the Bible calls us to live like Jesus does. And I'm asking you again, are you resting or are you in panic? Are you at peace or are you in panic? Where are you? Are you like the disciples or are you like Jesus? And here's the thing. If you are like the disciples, Jesus tells you exactly why you are afraid. Jesus tells you exactly why you are afraid in this passage. He says in verse 40, why are you so afraid? And then he connects their fear to what? Their faith. He says, have you still no faith? Look, if you're afraid during this time, here's the reason why you're afraid. Jesus is telling this to you. He's saying the reason why you're fearful is because you don't have faith. You thought you had faith. You thought you believed in Jesus. And yet Jesus is telling you, you didn't have as much faith as you thought you did. And this fear, this storm, this mega storm is actually revealing the fact that you did not have faith. So let me ask you, do you have faith? You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, there's this famous story of Isaiah seeing this vision of God in heaven. And the very first verse of chapter 6, it tells us very, very important information. It tells us this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I know what you're thinking. What does this have to do with fear, anxiety, panic? What, what does this have to do with anything? And here's the point. This, this, this one phrase, the year that King Uzziah died, is so important for us. And the reason why it's important is because of this. Uzziah was a great king. Uzziah was one of the great kings of Israel. He was a good king of Israel. In fact, King Uzziah, during his 52-year reign, which was half a century, it's a long time. For 52 years, the nation of Israel experienced economic prosperity. The Israel stock market was soaring day after day, going up and up and up. Small businesses in Israel were thriving. Large businesses in Israel were thriving. Economy was doing good. People had more possessions than ever. They had more land than ever. They were doing really, really well. Moreover, they had peace. Uh, King Uzziah ends up building this immense, massive army that not only conquered and expanded the kingdom of Israel, but it also went ahead and provided peace for all of Israel. In addition to all of this stuff, uh, King Uzziah brings back religious reform. He ends up bringing back worship of Yahweh. Whereas the people of Israel were worshiping Baal, the idols, uh, King Uzziah ends up bringing Yahweh back into the picture and they begin worshiping the Lord once again. And during this 52 year of immense prosperity, the Israelites experience all of this stuff. And so the year King Uzziah dies, the, the nation of Israel goes into panic. They go into fear. They're like, what's going to happen now? 
Like, who's going to sit on the throne? Who's going to take over? Who's going to lead us now? I mean, King Uzziah was great. What's going to happen to the stock market? What's going to happen to my home? What's going to happen to my life? What's going to happen to my possessions? And they were in fear, anxiety, and worry. And in this time, in the year that King Uzziah dies, what does God reveal to Isaiah? He takes him up to heaven. He shows him the throne, and he says, look who's really sitting on the throne. King Uzziah wasn't sitting on the throne. I've been sitting on the throne all along. In fact, my throne is so powerful. It is so great. Isaiah tells us that the only thing he can see is the train of God's robe. You understand what that means? It's the train. He can only see the corner piece of God's robe. That's how massive God's throne is. That's how powerful God is. And Isaiah in that time is reminded once again of the true reality. It's like if you lift up the curtain and you see all these people behind the curtain, you think it's really the people outside, the players on the stage, but behind, there's all these things happening and God is saying, look, if you lift up the curtain and you see what's really going on behind the scenes, what you'll see is a reality that says, I am sitting on the throne. I am king. I am God and I'm a good God. I love you. I'm merciful. I'm kind. I'm just. I'm holy. And I'm sitting on the throne. And so you don't have to worry. Have faith that I'm sitting upon the throne. And friends, I want to encourage you with that today. I want you to know that for you to combat your fears, you have to have faith that the true king, our God, is sitting on the throne. That our good, loving, merciful king who died upon a cross for our sins sits upon the throne and that he's in control of this all. Do you understand that you can never scare God? Do you understand that you can never sneak up behind God and surprise him? God is never surprised by anything. He's allowed all of this to happen. He's not surprised by this virus. He's not surprised by anything that's happening. He is in control over everything. And friends, you can trust in him when you have faith. And when you have faith, you can cast out that fear. Here's the second thing that fear does. Fear will make you irrational. Uh, now, for this uh, sermon, I, as I was preparing it, I read a, a sermon by uh, this gentleman known as Charles Spurgeon. He's an old Baptist preacher. I have referenced him many times, and yet even though he wrote this sermon some 200 years ago, I feel like it has so much to say to us today. And so I'll be quoting from him quite a bit today. Uh, but here's the first quote, he's, and he's quoting on this passage that we're reading in Mark chapter 4. Listen to what he says. He says, They were men, but their fears unmanned them. They were fishermen, but you would have thought them a mere landsman if you observed their fears. Like frightened children, they cried, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They were by no means overwise, but now they were at their wits' ends. When you and I, listen to this, when you and I get fearful, listen, how foolishly we think and speak and act. You know, one of the things that I love doing is I love scaring my wife. It's, it's a terrible, terrible prank, but I love scaring my wife. I love hiding in dark corners of our house and popping out and scaring her, going boo. Uh, but one of the other things I love doing to my wife is oftentimes when we're driving on the freeway, uh, I, especially, you know, in California, especially when we're living there, the freeways were large. I mean, you have six, seven lanes in one freeway. And I would start all the way at the left-hand side of the freeway and then make about six lane changes over within a span of, let's just say, 0.1 miles. Uh, within a span of 0.1 miles, I'd make six lane changes and then I'd exit. And during those times, I remember my wife would get so afraid. She'd be like, what are you doing? And she would kind of like brace herself like this, and she'd cover her eyes, and she'd do this thing. And she's like, what are you doing? Why are you making so many lane changes? And 
And I'm telling you about that because think about this action, right? Think about how irrational that action is of bracing yourself and covering your eyes during a time of fear. Like, how was that actually going to save you? But yet we do it, right? When we get scared, we throw up our hands as if it's going to save us. We're going to brace ourselves as if it's going to save us. But to be honest, if we got into a car accident, covering her eyes and bracing herself like this is not going to help. But what happens is when you get fearful, you get emotional. And when you get emotional, you start acting irrationally. You start acting out of character. You start acting without logic and reason. Let me give you another example of this, okay? Why are people hoarding toilet paper? Like, why are we doing that? Like, there have been countless news articles written about why are Americans, why are people around the globe hoarding toilet paper out of all the resources? Out of all the resources, why toilet paper? And they're basically saying this, it's illogical. There's no reason for you to be hoarding toilet paper. In fact, did you know that bidet sales, if you don't know what a bidet is, just Google it and you'll learn what it is, but, but bidet sales have been up too. Why? It's illogical. There's no reason for it. I think what happens is maybe they see somebody buying a lot of toilet paper. They're like, oh my gosh, I've got to buy a lot of toilet paper. And then so you start buying, and then the other person, and this fear kind of just starts to spread. Uh, great uh, prestigious news articles, uh, uh, sorry, news organizations have been writing about this. Time Magazine has written about it. The New York Times has written about it. Uh, CNN, BBC, all of these different news uh, outlets have been writing about this phenomenon. And I just want to quote to you uh, from one of those news outlets. Um, it was an article by Jeffrey Kluger, on, and he entitles the article, In the Wake of the Coronavirus, Here's Why Americans Are Hoarding Toilet Paper. <laughs> because it's a phenomenon. It's It's illogical. And listen to what he says uh, at the very end of his article. He says, humans will be humans, and our eccentricities will be our eccentricities. Our panic buying, Albert, uh, Mary Albert, she's an associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences uh, at the George Washington University School of Medicine. She says this, represents one thing we can control. In an exceedingly uncertain moment, it's at least something. We, we do crazy things when we're afraid. We start doing illogical things when you are afraid. You start to treat people who have the image of God as if they are animals. You start shoving people in line. You start stealing things from their carts. You start doing all sorts of things that would, are illogical during this time. You begin to act like wild beasts. You, you begin to behave as one who's not an image bearer, but as one who just walks along the ground, who starts crawling around the ground. Look, Jesus even says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. He says this, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And what Jesus is pointing out is this. He's saying, look at the illogical nature of stress. What can you add? Like, yes, you be cautious. You, you have prudence. You have wisdom. You do what you can. You control the things that you, you can control. But then after that, like, what is worrying or stressing going to add to your life? And yet you think, oh, if I just stress, if I fear, if I worry, it's going to add something. No, it doesn't. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. Worry, stress, and fear are illogical in nature and cannot add anything to your life. Here's the third thing. Fear will make you unhappy. It will make you unhappy. Listen to again to Charles Spurgeon, uh, again commenting on Mark chapter 4. He says their fears, that the, that's the disciples' fears, made them so unhappy Terror was depicted on their countenances. They were white as a sheet when they saw that the boat could not be bailed, but was evidently filling and sinking. 
what caused their terror. Were they afraid of death? Their fears were causing them more pain than death itself could have caused them. We feel a thousand deaths in fearing one. To die is nothing compared with fearing to die. And listen to this, okay? All the agony of death lies in the foresight of it. Death itself is the end of all agony. Death is not the storm, but the, uh, the quietest of the disturbing, disturbing elements. Through death, souls enter into rest. The apostles were made wretched by their fears. Look, the fear of all fears is death itself. It's not about losing your house. Of course, we're fearful of those things. But the fears of all fears is death itself. And what, what Charles Spurgeon and what the Bible tells us is that as Christians, we have the tools to face the fears upon all fears, which is death itself. And so even if the fears of all fears came true, which is you were to die, Christians have the tools to overcome this. You have the tools to overcome death itself. You have the tools. You have the things to, to have peace and happiness in the midst of even death itself. Remember, in the book of Philippians, we just talked about this. Paul says, I've learned the secret to contentment. He's like in prison. He's rotting in jail. He's chained to a Roman guard. He doesn't get a food. He doesn't have bathing situations. He's not using the toilet in a proper manner. He's, he's probably living just a hellish of a life. And yet in the midst of this hellish place where he's awaiting death row, he says he has contentment. And look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. He says, for, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, look, the reason why I can be content is because it's a win-win situation for me. If I live, I get to live for Christ. I get to serve him. I get to love him. I get to be on missions for him. He says, if I die, I get to be with Christ. I get to see him. I get to worship him. I get to hug him. I get to actually meet Jesus face to face. If I die, I win. If I don't die, I win. It's a win-win situation. And if you are a Christian, if you believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you believe that it has purchased you from death itself, you believe this, that whether you live or die, it is gain for you. Whether you live, you live for Christ. Whether you die, it is gain because you get to meet the one whom you love. You know, a couple of, uh, uh, about a year ago, I went to Disneyland with uh, Pastor Kenny and his family. And uh, I remember there was this one ride. Uh, it was a Dumbo ride. And I remember waiting in this Dumbo ride. And in this line were all these children and families and their parents and whatnot. They were all waiting in line. And I just started watching all the kids and the parents. And I noticed these two subsets of kids, okay. One subset was excited about the ride. They were like, I can't wait to go on Dumbo. I can't wait to experience this amazingness. I can't wait. And then there was a second group of kids who were so afraid. They were looking at the ride going up and down and up and they were crying, they were crying, they were crying. And here's the point. You have two different reactions to the same thing. The ride. The ride was the same thing, but you have two different reactions. What's the difference in the reactions? Well, one group said, I'm excited about that ride. The other group said, I'm not excited. I'm afraid. I don't want to go there. And what I'm telling you here today is that death Death, death, if you're a Christian, you can have a good perspective on it. You can actually see death as a blessing. Why? Because you're going to go meet Jesus. And you don't have to be afraid of it. Where is your sting, death? Where is the victory of death? It's no more. It's been gone. It's been taken away from us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You have nothing to fear, Christian. 
you have nothing to fear. And look, for you, maybe you don't have enough faith and you're still depressed. You're like, well, that doesn't encourage me. That doesn't lift me up. It still makes me unhappy. Uh, no matter how you put it, Pastor Eric, I'm, I'm just still depressed. Well, think about it like this, okay? The disciples got to witness one of the greatest miracles that Jesus had ever done in his life. Why? In the midst of a storm. It's because of the storm that they were able to witness one of Jesus' greatest miracles. They got to witness, I, I wish I could have been there. They got to witness Jesus get up. Okay, imagine Jesus rise up and he just says, peace, be still. He rebukes the wind, he rebukes the waves, and all of a sudden, the, the Bible story tells us that there is a great calm. And that word great again is megas. It's a mega calm. It's so calm, it's like glass. It goes from raging to peace. They got to see that. They got to experience the power of Jesus Christ because of this storm. And friends, you can look at this storm as, as oh my, my goodness, look at all the, 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 the bad stuff that's happening. Or you can look at this storm and see, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see what Jesus does. I can't wait to see his power enacted through this storm. I can't wait to see what Jesus does during this storm. In the greatest storm is where we will see God's greatest power. And as the church, as New Life Fellowship, we have decided as a church, as a leadership, to see this storm as a means for God to work his power. To see God enact his power. You know, for me personally, when, when all of this started unfolding, unraveling, I, I, I tell you, I had so much, so much worry and anxiety and fear and depression. All of this stuff came upon me. I was saddened. I was getting ramped up for this 40-day campaign. I couldn't wait to start preaching the messages. I couldn't wait to start seeing community groups go deeper. I couldn't wait for people to hear the gospel. I couldn't wait. We had worked so hard, and then all of a sudden, this virus stuff hits, and I was sad, and I was almost depressed at one point. And yet, I remember I got a text from a, a, a pastor nearby, and he, he texted me this. He said, I've pastored through earthquakes, terrorist attacks, snowstorms, shootings, but I have never pastored a church through a plague. And after he, he, he wrote that, he listed out all the ways in which his church was going to start helping the community, the surrounding community. And I, when I read that text, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just opened my heart. And I felt those words really blessing me and encouraging me. And I thought that this, this time, this storm is a perfect opportunity for God to show his power, to show his love through New Life Fellowship. And so we've done so many things. We, we're taking this opportunity to do a number of things. We, we, we have, we're partnering with food banks. We want to uh, uh, partner with food banks to volunteer at food banks. If you don't know, food banks have been hit very hard. Uh, all of their volunteers were mostly senior citizens, but these senior citizens are being quarantined because they're high risk, and so they don't have volunteers. And so we posted on, this, on our website opportunities for you to serve, and one of them is through the food banks. Serve at a food bank. We're also donating canned goods to food banks because they've been hit hard by grocery stores. If you don't know, food banks get a lot of their food through grocery stores, but these grocery stores have been hit hard, and so they're not donating as much as they would normally to these food banks, and so we're collecting food uh, to donate them. Uh, Cornerstone, which is our senior citizens um, uh, ministry uh, uh, through our Korean ministry site, 
Um, uh, you know, we, we also reached out to their pastors to see how we could serve them. Uh, we've reached out to Life Care Center, which is where the epicenter of all of this stuff happened, where we've seen the most deaths in our nation. Uh, around 19 deaths were connected to Life Care Center. And we as a church have reached out to them. We've donated toys and food to their staff and to their patients. And we will continue to do so throughout this time. Uh, we've reached out to North Shore School District teachers, which is right here in Bothell. Uh, we wanted to serve them and minister to them. So we bought them food and coffee and donuts and all sorts of things to really encourage their hearts. Uh, we took time to really redo our live stream because we believe that um, not only do we need it during this time, but even after this time is over, we believe that buffing up our live stream will help us reach even more people for Jesus. As a church, I never ever thought we'd be able to do this, but we've been able to resource other churches. Look, we're not a small ministry, but we're not, we're not a large ministry either, but we're, 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 we're pretty well equipped, to be honest with you, as a ministry. So other churches have reached out to us for help, and so we've been helping other churches. We've been helping other churches get their live streams up and going. We've been helping other churches navigate uh, their churches during this season, and I'm so happy to see our church being able to be light, not only to our communities, but also to other churches. And guess what? We have many more opportunities to come. I've always wanted our church to pray more. And we're going to start a Wednesday uh, uh, afternoon prayer service via live stream. And we want you to come and pray with us. We're, we're looking to create a fund for people within our church um, as, as sort of a last resort. You know, if they, you know during this time, we, we know that there's going to be a lot more uh, uh, you know, economic downturn. There could be a recession, even a depression. And we as a church want to help out. And so we're creating a fund to help uh, people in their sort of last resort. If they go to the government and they, you know, and, and the government's not giving them enough and they need us to pay their electricity bill or the rest of the rent or whatever it is, we want to be able to help and provide those things for people here at our church. And look, at the very beginning of my ministry here, I've always wanted New Life Fellowship to be more missional. And God has given us all of these opportunities and more to do so. And friends, I'm just showing you, look, even though we're in the midst of the storm, we're seeing the Holy Spirit work. We're choosing to allow the Holy Spirit to use us, to utilize us as New Life Fellowship. And I encourage you, personally, as a person, utilize this time. Reach out to your friends who are struggling with fear, who are struggling with anxiety and panic. Maybe it's your non-Christian friend who doesn't have the assurance of salvation that you do. Reach out to them, minister to them. Of course, keep social distancing six feet apart. Maybe do it over the phone or over webcam, send them sermons. But nonetheless, reach out. There are so many things that you can do to love and extend the love of God to other people. Here's the last thing. Fear makes us unkind. Fear makes us unkind. Again, for the last time, Charles Spurgeon, this is what he says. Their fears made them so unkind. Does unbelief make the timid unkind? I'm sure it does. The disciples were ungenerous to their sleeping master. If they had only considered a little, they would have said, no, do not wake him. He has had so weary a day. The cares of the world rest on him. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If he can sleep, let him sleep. Let us sooner suffer than disturb him. If they must needs wake him, might they not have addressed him in fitter words to say, master, carest thou not that we perish, was fretful and wicked. It was enough to mount a wound their Lord's tender heart to be thus spoken to. Our unbelief has a tendency to make us unkind also. And listen to this. We are not tender of others when we are disturbed about ourselves. The reason why Jesus finds himself on this boat with his disciples is because he's trying to find rest. 
If you remember previous to this passage in, in the beginning parts of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has become a rock star. He's become a YouTube star. I mean, he's done a few miracles. He's preached a few messages. But hordes and hordes of people are starting to come towards him. He's been healing and healing nonstop. He's been walking and traveling by foot. Remember, there's no Uber. There's no Lyft. There are no trains. He's walking everywhere he goes. He has no home. So he's sleeping at other people's homes, right? And so he, he's doing all of these miracles. People are bombarding him with their requests. And finally, Jesus is able to escape. He's able to get onto this boat and just sleep. And yet... And yet the disciples, instead of allowing their master to sleep, instead of trusting Jesus, they rudely awake him. They don't care about Jesus. They don't care about anybody else. They only care about themselves. We are not tender with others when we are disturbed. And friends, I'm telling you, during times of fear and anxiety, what's going to happen in our society is we are going to see people become more and more evil and much more uh, unkind to each other. You know, Psalm chapter 37, verses 3 and then verse 8, look what, look what uh, the, the, the psalmist writes. He says, trust in the Lord, okay, and do good, okay? Trust in the Lord, do good. Why is he saying do good while you trust in the Lord? Because why? Because when anxiety and fear hits, you want to do evil. Dwell, he says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness, refrain from anger and forsake wrath, fret not yourself, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, when you're fearful, when you're anxious, it tends towards evil. It tends for you to move towards unkindness. Fear and anxiety leads to evil. Again, man, my wife went to Costco recently, and uh, she saw this. She saw somebody taking the last bits of toilet paper from Costco. She, she saw this person put it in their, their cart, right? And as this person was pushing around, they went to go get something else. Somebody else came along, looked at the cart with the toilet paper. They grabbed it out of that person's cart because they were like, they didn't buy it yet. They took it for themselves. And this is what we've become, friends. This is what happens during seasons of fear and anxiety is people will become massively unkind. I mean, you see this. People are pushing each other in line. People are shouting at each other. People are taking things from each other. People are being so unkind during this time. And friends, the reason why is because during anxiety, during fear, we tend towards evil. You know, the show The Walking Dead is a great description, uh, depiction of this. Uh, you know, if you haven't watched the show, I'll let me summarize all 10 seasons or whatever there is for you. Rick Grimes is a sheriff. He's one of the main characters in the show. And at the very beginning of the show, he's this great sheriff. He's this outstanding sheriff. He's a good family man. He's a great guy. But then throughout the show, what happens is you see Rick Grimes transform into this generous, loving, justice-filled sheriff into this degenerative thug throughout the show. And the reason why is because one of the, the taglines in the show is do not fear the dead, but fear the living. Because what happens during this post-apocalyptic time is that you don't fear the dead anymore. You fear the people who are alive because they will come, they will kill you, they will destroy you, they will steal from you. And so because of that, Rick Grimes starts to transform out of fear into a degenerative thug throughout the show. And if you've seen the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Fear will transform you to becoming evil. During this time, the world will become more and more evil. I'm telling you right now, I'm predicting it. The world will become more and more evil. You will see more people doing unkind things than loving things. And during this darkness, friends, the church has to rise up as the light. 
We have to rise up as truth. We have to rise up with, with the loving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ himself. We, this is the time where we get to really, really be the light in the darkness, friends. This is our time. This is the time for the church of Jesus Christ to be kind and loving towards each other. I'm hearing of Christian doctors who are sacrificing their bodies to go over to Italy where it is the biggest epidemic of all. And they are sacrificing their bodies to minister to other people. I'm hearing of photographers from our own church who are giving free photo shoots to small businesses in order to help them during this difficult time. I'm hearing of small business owners who are paying fair wages to their employees even though their employees can't work during this time. And I'm hearing about all of these things. And friends, I want to encourage you to continuously do this, to continuously be the light. And friends, you don't have to wait for new life to give you an opportunity. You don't need to wait for us to give you an opportunity. Start ministering now, today. Go and reach out. There are so many things that you know you can do with your work, with your skills, with your talents that God has given to you that you can begin ministering to your neighbors, to your friends, to, to the people around you, to your coworkers. Start now, friends. We need to rise up as a church. Look, so many people thought that we as New Life Fellowship, one of the reasons why we shut down, people thought this was because we were afraid. And friends, I'm here to clarify for you, we were not afraid to shut down. That is not why we shut down as a church. That is not why we closed our physical doors. Do you understand that the reason why we closed our physical doors is so that we can help stop the spread of this virus? Do you understand it was because of kindness that we shut our doors? It is because of kindness and mercy that we don't want to, to occupy all these hospital beds. Friends, you've probably heard this term, flatten the curve. We want to flatten the curve. We don't want uh, tons and tons of people going over to the hospital, taking up ICU beds. We want to slow the spread of the virus. And one way we can do that is simply by staying at home. It's simply by not spreading this virus. That's why we do it. It's not because, uh, oh, I'm afraid of dying or I'm afraid of contracting the disease. No, no, no. We do it because we love people. Because we don't want to see any more people die in our nation. And friends, I urge you, wash your hands. Stay clean. I'm urging you to, 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 to keep social distancing. I'm urging you to not go into large populated crowds. I'm urging you. Why? Not because you're afraid, but because you want to help slow the spread of this virus. This is why the church exists, friends. We are to love our neighbors. Friends, do not be unkind during this season. Do not be unmerciful. Do not be ungracious during this time. Friends, we need to be the church. So this leads us to our second point, and I promise the second point is not as long. It's, it's much shorter. Transforming our fears. How do you stop fearing? How do you transform your fear into faith? And here's where faith and uh, fear diverge. As I, as I mentioned before, fear is illogical. And one of the reasons why fear is illogical is because if you think about it, fear is actually filled with emotions. It's emotional. It's very, very emotional. And because it's emotional, it's illogical. It doesn't think with its mind. It thinks with its heart, with its emotions. And yet faith is the complete opposite. Faith is quite logical. Faith is when you think with your mind. See, a lot of people think, oh, Christianity is illogical, it's this faith thing, you just have to believe, it's like a fairy tale, it's like unicorns and whatever, it's this illogical thing that you just have to take a leap of faith in, but no, friends, Christianity is very logical. In fact, a lot of historians believe that the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period that the West experienced was actually due to the Christian Reformation, because if you study the Christian Reformation, what these reformers did is they used their logic, their minds, to combat the Catholic Church. 
They used reason. And you see, if you study Christianity, if you study your Bibles, what you come to find is we actually worship a very logical God. We worship a God who says, look, you want to know I'm God? Let me perform these signs and miracles for you. I'm going to show you that I'm God. I'm not going to just ask you to believe blindly in me. I'm going to show you that I'm God. I'm going to perform miracles. I'm going to rise from the dead so that you know I am God. I can conquer death. Christianity is logical. It is not illogical. Faith is logical. It is not illogical. Last, listen to this once again, Charles Spurgeon. This is the last quote from him. The most unreasonable thing in the world is to doubt God. Faith is pure reason. That may seem like a strange paradox, but it is literally true. Nothing is so reasonable as to believe the word of God who cannot err or lie. So here, if you're faced with fear, what you need to do is you need to start thinking logically. You need to start thinking logically once again about your faith. And if you're a Christian here, one of the things that you can begin thinking logically about is the fact that you don't have to fear death no more. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 says this. The Apostle Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Where is it? It's, it's nowhere to be found. Why? Because when we die, we don't die. We get to meet Jesus. You need to start thinking logically. When you're overcome with fear, you need to think logically once again that the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords, our good and amazing and gracious God is sitting upon the throne. You need to remember once again that He is there. You need to think logically about these things. And friends, let me translate this into something very practically for you. Not only are you to meditate and to think logically about the truths of Scripture, but you are to worship our God. One way you can do this is by worshiping, just singing, praise songs. By singing about our great king, about singing about our lovely God, about singing, how, singing about how he's sitting upon the throne. Friends, worship. I'm telling you, go to Spotify. Open up your praise list and start praising the Lord. This is one way we can actively combat our fears is by worshiping Jesus. By reminding ourselves over and over again about the logical truth that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took away the penalty of death. And friends, we no longer have to fear any longer. Think about those things. And friends, lastly, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray. Although it was evil of the disciples to wake up Jesus Christ, in some sense, the one good thing that they did is that they went to their Lord and Savior in prayer. They went to him and beseeched him and asked him and pleaded with him and asked him, Lord, would you save us? Would you help us? And during this season, if you want to combat your fears, you need to begin praying. For some of you, you've been so busy with your kids. You've been so busy, uh, you know, plugging up all these holes in your businesses. You've been so busy in this unbusy season, and yet one thing you've neglected is to pray to our Lord. It's to pray to the one who is in control. It's to lift up your request before him. It's to make your supplications and prayers with thanksgiving made known to him. And you remember Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says this, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, friends, this past week, uh, I'm telling you all of these things because this is just from my own experience right now. You know, this past week I was carrying my son Ezekiel and uh, it was late at night and he was crying and he was crying and I don't know why, but maybe it was because of the tiredness along with just hearing him cry and cry and holding him. I, you know, I had just had this moment, I'm sure many of you have had it, where this fear just sweeps over you. And I remember I was holding my son. He was crying his heart out. 
um, you know, there was no one to help me. It was late at night. I was tired. And this fear swept over me. What if all of this stuff happens? And what if my family dies? What if all of this stuff happens? And my mind just started going towards the what if scenarios. What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? And I was just filled with so much fear, so much anxiety in that moment. And I remember clearly and distinctly singing this song. This song came to my head. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. And I just started singing that again and again and again. And I remember feeling this wash over me, the Holy Spirit really taking those words and making it alive in my heart. And I remember logically once again why I have nothing to fear. That our Lord King Jesus sits on the throne. That he came down from that throne at some point in time in history. And it was a real thing that happened and he died upon a cross for you and I. He took away the, the stain of sin. He took away the wages of sin for us, which is death. And when we die, when our physical bodies waste away, our souls will live on. And we will go and meet our Savior, Jesus Christ. And friends, as we think and as we process logically about these things, may the love of Christ wash over you. May you have courage to live with boldness as light during this dark and tremendous storm. Let's pray. Lord Father, I pray for each and every person listening to this sermon right now. God, whether at a later time or right now, I pray for them. God, so many of us in this church are afraid. We're anxious and we're worried. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you go into each and every heart and each and every mind. And that God, you would begin reminding them of your truths. God, I pray that you would make yourself even more real to us during this time. May we be not a church that is unkind, but Lord, may we love. God, may we not be an illogical church, a church that just uh, does whatever we want, but God, may we be a church of reason. God, may we be a church that loves, that cares, that does justice during this dark time. Lord, would you help us to come out of this storm, Lord, to really love and to seek your face. Lord, we thank you, God, so much for this time. We pray this on your sons, holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. If you can now, would you rise for the benediction? And if you don't know what a benediction is, it just means a good word. And as you leave your homes or wherever, as you leave this, you know, this time of worship, we just ask that you leave with a word of encouragement. And my encouragement to you is, to, is this simply once again, is to worship, to pray, and to think logically. That our God sits on a throne. That our God loves you. And that our God is good. Uh, hear now the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.